Hello, and welcome to our first of hopefully many segments of The Boulder Bolding. My name is Keith Ruckhouse, and I'm here with my good friend and exploratory colleague, Alec Tsukatos. Yes, that's Greek, and as we go along, he'll make sure to remind you of that. Our plan is to delve into the problems in our society and their relationship to economics. More importantly than just complaining about problems and then pointing fingers, we want to explore possible alternatives, especially ones pioneered by Kenneth Boulding, who, as I understand it, came up with the term steady-state economics. First of order, I want to ask Alec to tell us a little bit about his background and how he became familiar with Kenneth Boulding. So I was born in Alexandria, Egypt, of Greek parents, in December 1941. I went to an English school as a boy uh, called Victoria College. And then when I was 12, and the situation in Egypt was getting a bit dangerous, my parents decided to send me to Greece to finish my junior high and high school studies. I uh, graduated in 1961. I then went to London from 61 to 63, ostensibly to prepare to get into the University of London or Cambridge or Oxford, but I was too involved with uh, theater and movies and generally getting to know, you know, what 20s looked like. And so eventually I landed in Berkeley, California, UC, uh, where I, I got a bachelor's and master's, 1964 to 1968. So I was thrown into the free speech movement that started in the fall of 1965. I didn't, I wasn't a participant, but I certainly took in a great deal of the ideas, and that's where uh, I was uh, really radicalized for the first time in my life. Once uh, I um, ended my stay in Berkeley, I got a position in teaching economics in Missoula, Montana, where I stayed for uh, three years, then decided that uh, I'd had enough of economics as it was uh, taught and uh, how I had been teaching it because I thought um, it left a great deal to the unknown, as it were. So I um, decided that I needed to find an economics department uh, for my PhD that would uh, teach uh, a different kind of economics. And so I looked all over the United States and finally decided to go to Boulder, Colorado, uh, my first visit there because of this one man, Kenneth Boulding, that uh, I had begun to read about, and I got accepted in that uh, program and eventually got my doctorate in uh, uh, 1978, and it was Kenneth Boulding that was the head of my dissertation committee. Did you study under Kenneth Boulding? I did indeed, yes. Primarily? Yes. Okay. Not primarily, because you had to take all sorts of different classes, but he um, was my mentor, really, and has remained my mentor to this day. But you went there specifically to learn 
more from him. Then, yes, because I the everything else that I'd learned in the PhD program, I could have learned in any uh, good PhD programs. Can you pinpoint some things in particular that appealed to you about Kenneth Boulding? Yes, he was continuously very curious. So he would come up with images and phrases and, and witticisms to take you out of your normal uh, way of thinking, not only about economics, but certainly uh, that's what I was there for, and so were uh, my fellow students. What do you know about Kenneth Boulding and kind of his background and how he ended up at University of Colorado? Yes. Um, he was born, he's an Englishman. He was born in England, in uh, Liverpool, I believe. Um, he came from a working-class uh, family, and then at the age of, I, I believe somewhere around nine, uh, when he was 21, he came to the United States, eventually became an American citizen. He got his bachelor's and master's degrees, bachelor's in England, master's, I believe, here, never a PhD. And uh, one of the funny things, uh, as a matter of fact, was that when his uh, wife, Elise Boulding, who was a sociologist, and he received mail. It was directed to Dr. and Elise and Mr. Boulding. But nevertheless, he had gained at 30-plus uh, um, honorary degrees in the United States and elsewhere. He, in my estimation, was not only a genius, but also a, a great, great humanitarian. So he always looked to economics as a means by which societies uh, can attend to the common good. Mr. Boulding was dealing with the challenges of post-World War II economics, is that correct? Well, he, he was w one of the innovators in peace studies, that is to say, he would say, we've, we've spent a great deal of in intellectual power and military power in learning how to conduct wars and very little about how to conduct peace. And therefore, that was one of his major, major contributions. The other contribution that he was uh, uh, known for is for general systems theory, together with another fellow by the name of Bartelanfi. Um, uh, where, you know, again, one of his insights, which was also witticism, and the, the, the core of general systems theory is that you can never do only one thing. That it always has repercussions in, on the whole, and the whole has then repercussions again on the thing. So he was one of the foremost developers of uh, that theoretical framework. Did he come up with the term steady state economics? No, the uh, Herman Daly is D-A-L-Y, is the person that is associated with calling it the steady state economics or steady state economy. The idea there is that how would an economy function that is not growing and yet attending to the common good. All of economics from Adam Smith and the, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution 
was about how to have economies grow because the principal problem was poverty for the vast majority of people. And so the way to get all of these people out of poverty is to grow the economy so everybody can have more. All boats rise in the tide. Yes, quite so. The, the idea about steady state is that we can't continue to grow as economies. Once you have a full world of economies, that is to say, there are more economies now that are growing than ever before. And we're pretty much at a full world. We, yes. We're put, in other words, what does it mean to be in a full world economy is that one economy cannot grow, but at the expense of another, at the cost of another. Whereas all of economics is based on the idea that growth is good and more growth is better always. So one of the very famous quotes of, uh, of Kenneth was the, the following. Anyone who believes that indefinite growth of anything physical in a physical world is either mad or an economist. I believe I... Uh Posted that on my Facebook yes. once. That, yes, that, yes, that, that quote. yes. And so we have to find ways of having an economy not grow and yet not only not collapse, but attend to the well-being of people. In this case, the well-being of people is defined as not having more stuff, but having enough stuff, that is to say, says to live a good life, and beyond that, instead of growing, that is to say physically, having more and more and more stuff, you then develop as a human being. That is to say, you develop vertically. You become a better human being. It's a qualitative development, if you will, rather than just the physical development. So he was concerned in getting everybody to have the basics of life but not more than that, and then have people develop and become happier as a result of who they become as human beings, not just by how much stuff they have. So it's definitely sort of running against the grain of our current economic system that uh, believes that we're all self-interested beings and we're all out for what's best for us and to consume more and more or to get what as much as we can get. What was his sort of vision for an alternative sort of humanity and does it work? Well, his vision was that firstly, if we continue having all economies grow, then eventually all of them would come into collapse because it can't be done. And therefore, instead of waiting of, uh, for the collapse, to adapt ahead of time. Because he knew, as indeed we do know, that there are societies that have actually collapsed. And some of the societies knew that they were on the brink of, uh, of collapse and never did anything to avert it. Others didn't know and therefore they collapsed despite themselves. In other words, without knowing what they were doing to themselves. So it's a kind of societal suicide rather than the individual suicide of a person.
Well, there's an introduction into uh, what we're exploring in the Boulder Bolding. Uh, in our next session, Alec is going to give us a list, I believe, of about 12 points of a steady state economics, and uh, that will introduce us to what will proceed and deal with one of those points uh, each session afterwards. But Alec, you mentioned to me that there is another aspect or another kind of field that uh, Kenneth Boulding introduced, and it had to do with the idea of a grant economy. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So all of economics up until now, recently, in the last 50 or so years, was... Uh, studying how human beings exchange amongst themselves, either exchange for goods or for a service. I provide you with a service and you pay me something. So it's a two-way exchange, as it were. Whereas a grants economy is one-way delivery of a service or a product. As, for example, with parents, they grant certain goods and certain services to children without expecting anything in return. This is something that all families do, and when they don't do that, then we tend to say that they're negligent or bad parents or what have you. So he took that notion and expanded it to the whole uh, society and economy so that a society can grant its uh, individuals or families within that economy a one-way transfer without expecting that they're going to be paid back for it. Would student debt forgiveness be considered something along those lines? Yeah, at that time, that wasn't in the air, as, uh, but certainly that would be one way in which to do it. The other one is the universal basic income. So you give, let's say, $1,000, as Andrew Yang is suggesting, to every adult of the United States merely because they belong to a particular society called the United States, without expecting anything from them. Okay, and so we probably are going to be able to talk more about that as we proceed as well. Oh, yes, I think it's very, very relevant for today. So this is one of the things about Boulding that is so wonderful for me is that these ideas are very much alive uh, in me and in other people, and especially with the very young, it would seem to me that uh, Kenneth Boulding would uh, have a, uh, a natural audience, and they in turn would uh, provide him with a great deal of uh, satisfaction as a result. Okay, so in other words, these ideas which are dormant right now or in uh, incipient stages... Uh, have the possibility of emerging as uh, strong forces. And uh, that kind of is what's behind our title, The Boulder Bolding. If, if these kind of ideas can grab and take hold, um, it can jettison yeah. into... I have two things to say about that very briefly. One is that I have begun in the last year and a half or so 
to be surprised at myself and at others in that we're mining the past for good ideas rather than just inventing them today. So there are very good ideas that from the past that have been buried, sometimes buried because people didn't have the sense that they would be important or they weren't important for then, or that they were buried intentionally because they were very dangerous ideas to the powers that be. One way or the other, people are rediscovering things that people have said many centuries ago or many decades ago that can be very, very useful for today's situations and issues. The other thing is that Kenneth was an academic. And so he lived, as I indeed lived for 50 years of my academic life, in the realm of ideas. Since my retirement a year ago, and even a few years before I retired from the university, I found that my next step for, for myself and others is not to stay only with inventing ideas and talking to others about ideas, but seeing how these ideas can be implemented in society. We don't have the time anymore to just continuously talk about ideas without putting them into practice. And that has been a real learning experience for me because you know I haven't ever done that in my life. And so now it's important to get these ideas to others, yes, to be sure, but others who can put them into practice in the political arena, in the media, in various other places where they can land on something concrete which literally would change people's lives. Ideas in and of themselves might not change people's lives, but concretely put into practice, they might very well do that. And hence, again, the reason why we're entitling this podcast The Boulder Bolding, not only uh, exposing ourselves to uh, ideas that address many issues of our day, but also implementing those ideas. All right. Well, that closes our first session of The Boulder Bolding. I hope you found it interesting, and you will come back and listen to some more of our sessions. Thank you. Thank you for your listeners.